It's a pretty good song, right? It's a good song for worship. Well, I'm going to ask you to uh, pray with me again, and then um, actually he said you can have a seat, but I'm going to make you stand up, but not yet. (laughs) Something I like to do once in a while when we read the Word of God. You know, there are other cultures that as soon as the Word of God is open, they stand up, ready to listen to God. And so uh, we'll do that this morning, okay? So let's pray. I was thinking of these words, God, that um, excellent chorus that knowing you, there is no greater thing. I think people, even in our church community, we're all wound up because we know some celebrity or some character we've rubbed shoulders with, and that's our claim to fame. And Lord, you've invaded the planet. And we just forget about it. So God, you need to help us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, There is a a new work that you want to accomplish. We're asking in Jesus' name for the help of your Spirit, even today in understanding and continue. Uh, Our brother Tim prayed earlier for those not with us. I pray for them as well as those with us. Continue to work on our behalf, striving with us. I remember the quote of Pascal, one of your followers, who said, Christ shall be in agony until the end of the world. Your heart grieves for those who are apart from you. You wrestle, uh, and Jesus, the scripture tells us that you actually pray for us, even in the present. We don't get that totally. I don't fully get that. But you're praying. Certainly you're not praying that I be happy, you're probably praying that I be conformed to your image and that you are manifested in me and through me. Help. King Jesus, please help. Holy Spirit, be our guide today. Uh, I'm asking once again that you would bind our adversary. Lord, the, the scripture tells us you even commission angels to minister on our behalf. It would be good if they showed up today and helped us. So I commit these things to you. I pray, Father, for the illumination of your wonderful word. In the great name of Jesus, amen. So if you are uh, new with us today and you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew that you can pick up and take with you. We would love to give that to you as a gift. And as long as you don't need glasses, you should be okay reading it. (laughs) We're actually working on upgrading with a little bigger type. And the page that we're on is 569. This will be my last time on this section. I know you're all saying he's preaching through Philippians, and he should be done at about 2028. Don't be so agreeable over there. And um, how about, uh, I'm sorry that our guest speaker last night was so, uh, last week was so dry and boring. And uh, he obviously wasn't, uh, you know, I thought about it. He, he's missionary, right? So he comes, no tie. I mean, how can, how can the spirit work? <laughs> I'm probably going to swear off ties myself now or something. But I did have this funny report that came to me. Somebody wanted to swab both our mouths and check our DNA. 
see if we were related. And, and what was really funny is when he first met me, he said, do you know who your father is? There's an inside story there about Rick. He didn't know who his father I didn't. I buried him, so I know they weren't the same person. But maybe we're related in the spirit and a few other things, huh? It's kind of funny. So I, I thought he was a, a blast. He was really a live wire, you know. And uh, I think some, some uh, missional uh, events may come out of our partnering with them and interacting. So I'm looking forward to the future. All right, our, uh, our story today, if I can get my first screen up. Nothing's happening. There it is, the Calvary Road. Now, I looked through all of my preaching since I've been here, and I was astounded. I don't know if I ever used this title before. I didn't, did I? I must, I'm losing it, I'll tell you. Now, what would this mean? The Calvary Road, you know, we're moving toward this next weekend is Passover, Jewish Passover. You know, it's normally Easter's a little closer, but we already did Easter. When we think of the Calvary Road, we think about the stations of the cross, for example, right? Good Friday, the suffering of Jesus, the Calvary Road, and all of that. But no, that's not what I'm speaking of, not the Via Dolorosa, although it may be one for us. Maybe there are a few stations of the cross for us, if we are followers of Jesus, and that's really what I want to talk about. I stole it. That's why there's a little asterisk and my acknowledgments, because that's the name of a book, The Calvary Road. And um, I've mentioned this before, I have, but I'm, not, I'm always cautious about it because it was written in 1950. Does anybody still speak the same language that people spoke in 1950? It was written my birthday year. That's irrelevant. But anyway, but there are some... All right, what, what did I miss? Ben. Paybacks are a bummer, brother. You know that. And I'm up here. And I have my guess. Thank you. Okay, enough. On task. The first three chapters, I should make required reading. The rest, not so much, because what happens in any, any study, every book that you get, you should always glean. What do I think is biblical here? What is sound compared to Scripture? And whatever isn't, you toss aside. But that doesn't mean we can't benefit from all kinds of sources, right? So the first three chapters are the best. I'm going to quote some things out of that this morning. And... Um, the rest you might have to put by the wayside only because it sometimes slides into as Christians are so inclined to do legalism. I believe we're incurable legalists. It's part of our sin nature. It's part of our nature to want to have certain rules that make me right and you wrong. So I've got the advantage here. I'm right and you're wrong. No, I'm, you get, get what I'm saying. So that's not what we... Uh, boom. So this morning, I want to take a journey, and on that journey, we have some road signs along the Calvary Road, if you will. This is applicable for every born-again believer, person who has trusted Christ. If you're not in that zone yet, you're not sure what I'm saying when I speak like that, I would be delighted to sit down and explain and talk with you after the service anytime uh, there's little cards in the pew. You can fill that out, drop it in a little box in the foyer. We'll get your message and be glad to dialogue with you. But if you've entered into that, 
I, I almost cringe saying what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. It's the most important principle you can get your hands on in the Christian life. The most important. And it's the lack of getting a handle on this that leaves Christians broken, cranky, irascible, fill in the blanks. And we'll get to it as we move along. What I'd like to do this morning is I would like us to stand as we read this portion of the Word of God one more time, and then I will move on. It's chapter 2, the first eight verses or so, talking about this great model that we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you don't have to read with me. You can if you want. If, therefore, there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. By the way, is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Any affection and compassion? The answer, class? Thank you. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. That phrase, emptied himself, in your King James Version, it's the best translation. Not for everything, but for this verse. Emptied himself is translated, made himself of no reputation. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for humoring me. That's what I said. Thank you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Yay! Right over there. So we're on a journey, and it is an elevated concept. And that little phrase of being of no reputation is critical because when we read this portion of Scripture, originally, we went through it, I was mentioning that there was a transition from this text talking about the model of our Savior Jesus. And let me just be candid. We say, well, that was Jesus. You know, he was God. Therefore, I'm off the hook. Jesus did not... Why are you laughing? Jesus did not live his life on the planet using the God card all the time. He, he lived the way we are able to live, leaning on the Holy Spirit the way we can. Otherwise, the other scriptures that say he was tempted in every way like as we are would not be true. So that's how he did it. And we look at that and say, oh, well, that, but he's God. No one's going to be able to do what he did. And the Bible says that's not true. In fact, that's the whole point of Paul appealing to us. Have this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. So there's this transition 
from humility. And anybody remember, Ryan, that epiphany, the Sunday I mentioned that the Son of God learned obedience? If the Son of God learned obedience, where do we fall out? Okay, now I'm on a sidebar for a minute. Do I have permission? Doesn't matter, I'm doing it. (laughs) Obedience? Submission to authority? That's been gone for 25 years from our culture. We don't even talk about it. Parents don't even enforce it with their children. But we are to be like Jesus who learned obedience under the authority of his Father in heaven. So in that transition from humility, Paul brings it down and says, So then, dearly beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yes, I memorized Philippians a long time ago. (laughs) And I need to brush up on it. Submit, respond, work it out. Why? So that you may prove yourselves, you may experience in the living a manifestation of the fact that you belong to God and you're not of the world. That's what it says in the following verses. We're going to reprise those just for a minute. Work it out so you can realize it. So the first step as we take our journey is we look at this verse just by way of reminder. I've already parked on this. And remember, I ran out of time the last time we had communion. Remember remember that? Mm -hmm. Ran out of time. So I I had to torment you with the pineapple story. You all remember the pineapple story? I have to admit, I've been here three years this June. Can you believe it? I can't. Anyway... Three years, and in those three years, I think I have heard audible, I mean, hard reactions from the congregation only two or three times. And I got more out of that pineapple story. Not that that's what I'm in the business for, but I think it rang true, right? The whole point of the pineapple story, I mean, when when he said, see, God, you can't deal with the natives either, that was, you all cracked up, right? Because that's us, isn't it? We put it before God. He doesn't, yeah, he can't pull it off. So y'all, that was funny. I I thought it was funny. Sorry about, I thought it was funny. Anyway, and then the the natives say, you've become a Christian, Tuwan. I think some of us need to become Christians. So, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than themselves. That's the main thing. And there's some words that are trapped in here. And so we want to ponder them if we could. So the first signpost, anybody recognize what that is? That's because it is. It's a stop sign. So we're on our journey, and there are times that God is basically saying, Stop! Smell the coffee. (laughs) Smell the flowers. Well, in this case, let's smell the meaning of the words, if we could. There are two words that came out of that verse. Selfishness and empty conceit. We did look at them, so I'm going to kind of blow through this pretty quickly. But let me just remind you of what those words mean. The word selfishness is the word eretheia. 
Some of you like to have the Greek, and so I keep uh, feeding that to you, so there it is. It's the word for electioneering. I can't even bear, you know, I, late, I like to read the paper in the morning over coffee. Uh, I just kind of like, well, Trump and this and that, and it's the same old thing, electioneering. Why I'm better and you're stupid, that's all it is. Electioneering is strife, partisanship, manipulating to get things the way you want. Why was that a sigh? Manipulating to get things. I think we have a little of that here and there. Gesundheit. Manipulating to get what you want. The second word is empty conceit, and I really get a kick out of it because it's kenodoxia. The word doxia, you might recognize, the doxology. It's giving glory to God. Doxa is the word for glory. So this says glory, that's kino, empty. In other words, you think you're really all that, and you have no reason to think it. I remember the article years ago about um, uh, up-and-coming um, kids uh, raised on, on uh, heavy doses of self-esteem going in to sit in front of a CEO telling them why he should hire them when they have no credentials or nothing. Nothing. It's xenodoxia. But they think they should get the CEO's next job down from the top. We can really... You remember my story of the fly riding on the back of the elephant? Remember that? Going across the bridge. For those of you who weren't here, they go across the bridge. The suspension bridge is shaking like crazy under the weight of that elephant. When they get to the other side, the fly says, man, we really made that bridge shake. We. Why are these words here? Here's why, where I'm going. Why are they there? Did God put these words in the scripture for his health? Sidebar, God doesn't need to do anything for his health. He's perfectly healthy all the time. <laughs> He's the living God. He's the source of life and health, right? So it's not there for his health. Why do we read and ignore? Why do we blow past so many things that are clearly in scripture? Anybody want to do... Remember how... in? The old days in church, we used to take our Bibles in our hands and flip pages. Anybody remember that? Want to do that? Okay, because I'm going to. Go to the book of Galatians if you want. You don't have to. If you listen real carefully, you'll hear what I'm saying. You may recognize this section. Galatians, this is Galatians, the fifth chapter. It's on page 566 in your pew Bible if you want to use it. And go down to the... First row, the first paragraph, down to about verse 19. And it says there, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissent. Where do they get all this rotten stuff? From us. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why are those words there? So that we might think about what does that mean and is it in my life? 
Stop and ponder it. Think about it. Do some homework on it. That's what we're called to as believers, right? All right, I'm going to, since I titled the message The Calvary Road, I think it's only right that I read at least three or four things out of it, right? Maybe, maybe 20 things. No, I won't. I won't. Just a few. Here's a statement. He's talking about Charles Spurgeon quoting, walking in the light. To walk in the light is the opposite of walking in darkness. There's a profound thought. Don't you love stuff like that? But think about it. Spurgeon defines it in one of his sermons as the willingness to know and to be known. I want to know, but I also want to be known. Anybody remember the psalmist says, search my heart? Try me? You have to take effort. You have to stop and go, what are these? Hmm. Am I wrapped up in some vain glory? That's the other translation of Kenodoxy, empty pride. Am I, am I selfish? Am I electioneering for something? Am I maneuvering? Am I manipulating, pressuring, badgering, bullying people? Show me, Lord. As far as God is concerned, this means we're willing to know the whole truth about ourselves. We are open to conviction. So that's why things like this are in the scripture. It's so that we learn what it means to look Christ-like in process. Some of you appreciate, I know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Excellent uh, story with his life. His book, Life Together, that I've quoted on a number of occasions, adds to this concept of self-examination. Here's what he says. It's precisely for the sake of certainty that confession should deal with concrete sins. You see, we like to pray, oh, God, forgive all my sins. That's pretty much a worthless prayer. When you got saved, it's a good prayer because you can't keep track of all of it. But if all I do is come to God and say, oh, forgive all my sins, it's okay to have a general glossing over, but it's not doing me much good unless I'm dealing with what is it that I did that was sin. What specifically is it? See, the Christian life has called us to think clearly and to catalog, to process our thinking. Where is my mind going right now? Now, this, this is another sidebar. It's totally free. When I used to help people grow in their new walk, when they start to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit, they would say, you know, my mind got down into this terrible place. Picture it as a, as a journey like we're talking about today. You're driving along the road. Happy, beautiful day like this. Oh, in your mind. It's a beautiful day. I'm driving down the road. Isn't it night? Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you love me and that I'm your child. Amen? So I'm going along, and then I see this billboard. It's got something very tempting on it. And I go, ooh. And now I know I'm out of the light, but... Now I'm veering off, and I end up going off an off-ramp that takes me into the worst section of town. All the raunchy places are there, and all the raunchy people, and I'm like down there in the middle of it, and I'm like, how did I get here? Well, you didn't just... You got there progressively. So how do I get... It's a choice. So how do I get out of there? 
turn around and go back the way you came. That's how. Wait a minute. Where did I start Get Oh, I remember, Lord, I saw that billboard and that thing hit this sin area. Lust, greed, anger, whatever it was, it triggered something and now look where I am. So I repent of that and I go backwards and take that thing captive and get back on my happy journey of sunshine. I don't want to sound simplistic like it's always that, but I'm telling you, we almost never put our dukes up and say, enough. So, those two words. Let me show you another passage here. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, gee, now I'm really meddling. That you will prove yourselves, there it is, to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The word crooked, by the way, is scolio. Ring a bell? Some of us understand how bad that can be, right? Scolio, crooked. And so that is how the world looks. You will appear like lights compared to that if you're blameless and innocent. I'll try to unpack that in just a minute. But let's start with those two words. Why are these words here? Gonguzumos and dialogamos. See that? G-O-G-G-U-S-M-O-S. In Greek, when you have double G, it has a mm sound. So this is what you call an onomatopoetic word. Anybody know what that means? How do you like that for a mouthful? And I actually said it. Onomatopoetic. What does that mean? It sounds the way it means. It means what it sounds like. We don't have to park there. I think it's self-explanatory, is it not? And the second is like unto it. Dialogasomosa. <laughs> it's not an onomatopoeia. It's not one of those. <laughs> but it is translated disputing. It actually means dialogue, which is a good word. Dialoguing is a good thing. But in the context, it's referring to oppositional dialogue. You ever meet somebody? I, I had somebody, I used to help somebody with their handicapped um, husband, and she would just say to him, you're so contrary. That's what this word is. Just contrary, difficult, argumentative. Always got to have an argument. Always got to push back. And I don't mean there aren't times we should do that, but some of you know what I mean. Yes, you do. Muttering and complaining, arguing, disputing, dissension, reasoning as an opposition just can't go along. Maybe that has something to do with a lack of submission. Could be. And you know what? Can I give you some encouragement? The Philippian church was probably one of Paul's very favorite churches. And there was some of this in that wonderful church. <laughs> We're going to come to that very soon. Again, so. so, think about it. Why? Why am I here? Why are these words in front of me? So that I will think about self-application, the examined Christian life. Am I guilty? Am I contrary? I had to speak to our teachers downstairs last week, uh, which I considered a privilege, 
And um, one of the things I told them, because I know they're teachers, I know they put up with these kind of things. When I was pastoring in another place, I had a sister whose son got in trouble at school, and he got in trouble because he was wrong. But that sister had to go in and ream out the teacher and the, uh, who's in charge, the school principal and all of that. And I'm like, I, you uh, are embarrassing me. And you're reinforcing rebellion in your son. And I know what happens here. We have our pressure, our preferences. I want it this way. I want it that way. I won't say. I'll just keep going. Here we go. That you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. I'm reprising that because these are the positive words. Blameless and innocent. What on earth? Now, if you're a well-trained Christian, you've read your Bible, you know nobody in the room is innocent. Except me. No. (laughs) Nobody in the room is innocent, right? There's no such thing. What does that mean? Or blameless. Who's that... A little bit later, Paul's going to say, as far as the Jewish law and my performance, I was blameless. So let me show you what the words mean. Innocent. Akepeos. And what that word is referring to is unmixed or pure. Like, I'm a fan of pure maple syrup. Anybody into that kind? Or pure honey. I love both of those things. And there's pure and then there's not so pure. Pure is unmixed, right? So the concept there with innocent is that it's unmixed motives. You can try to serve somebody. You can be doing it for what you can get back. We want to attract people into our church for the sake of the God. I want to attract people into our church for the sake of the gospel. The reason I'm clarifying that is because sometimes we're wanting to welcome people into our church because it makes us look good because our ego is attached to the church building. That's not innocent. That's corrupt motive. It's not pure. So there's innocent, and then there's blameless. Blameless, a memptos. That and a a related word both relate to the same thing, faultless, meaning not faultless like you've never made a mistake. That's impossible. The scripture talks about the elders of the church should be blameless. Well, they don't walk on water. Right? Here, they, we don't have any. So, <laughs> that little, sorry, little bad joke. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, you have a pastor. He doesn't walk on water. Don't be so agreeable. Anyway, he doesn't. And, and so, blameless, like never make a mistake, never blow it. What on earth is being meant by this? Be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what it says. It brings us to a very, very important idea, and that is being authentic, coming clean. If I'll embrace this principle that we're trying to get across this morning, I can actually have some assurance that I'm walking somewhat blamelessly. Not without fault or ever making a mistake, but people know this guy's real. He tells the truth. If he steps in it, he admits it. That's all I can ask for is honesty. 
You know, when a politician for once would just say, yeah, I did that, I'm a, I'm a crud ball, instead of, no, that's all a lie, and I'm going to fight it till my last breath, and then later you find out what a bunch of bull it was. You know, he was lying about it all. Anybody ever notice any of that? Okay, I want to make sure I'm, I'm living in the same universe you are, I guess. I want to read a couple of things from Calvary Road, if I may. We have become so used to the fact that God knows all about us that it does not seem to register with us, and we inevitably end up by not knowing the truth about ourselves. We're going to have to be honest about what is broken. And one other comment. The man who wrote the book, uh, actually it's the preface of the book, went to a field where there was a revival cooking, if I can put it that way. I saw this, the Christian who walks in the light. I saw that walking in the light means an altogether new sensitiveness to sin, a calling of things by their proper name of sin, such as pride, hardness, doubt, fear, self-pity, which are often passed over as merely human reactions. I can't tell you how many times I hear, well, I'm only human. That's not your problem. God created humans a good thing. It's not our humanity that's a problem. It's our sin that's a problem. Okay? And when we say, well, we're all sinners, yes, we are, but God is in the business of redeeming sinners and making us shine like lights in the world. So here's what it says. They're often passed over as merely human reaction. It means a readiness to break and confess at the feet of him who was broken for us, for the blood does not cleanse excuses. It's my favorite line in this book. The blood of Jesus does not cleanse excuses, but it always cleanses sin confessed as sin. You see, coming clean is my way to freedom. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So the first thing on the road is I need to stop. The second thing is I need to yield, right? Oh, that word applies to me. Ouch. Time for me to think about this for a bit. Take it to prayer. Ask God to help me, to transform me. That's part of humility. It's not about perfection. It's about being pure in my motive and authentic and real and genuine in my spiritual life. What's the opposite? The opposite is pride. That's what that whole sermon was about originally and what this whole section is about. We looked at the negative side of pride last time, you know, uh, hubris, self-inflation, Here's some words, egotism, superiority, brazenness. How about stubbornness? Can that be connected to pride? I've had, you know, I'm very stubborn and proud of it. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing because I've had people here actually talk to me like that. So there's something about that that has to be turned around. Admit, just like Jesus had to learn obedience, so do I. Authenticity comes from a very critical decision, and that is the decision to die to your flesh, to die 
to what is ruling many times in my spirit. When it says do all things without grumbling or disputing, identify and die to it is what he's talking about. Identify it and die to it. Um, I was reading, let me make sure I didn't miss something in um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he's better than me. He is. He's a lot better than me. Let me read this. The cross. Ah, dying to it. How do you die to it? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he, blah, 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 went to how far? To where? The cross. Went to the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talking about the cross, the power of the cross. Why do we glory in the cross? Why do we sing about the cross? Oh, it saved me. The cross is where Jesus shed his blood and saved me. That's not the only thing it did. It continues to save you because it kills your sin nature. The cross of Jesus Christ destroys all pride, Bonhoeffer says. Now, by the way, I'm I'm not living in fantasy land here. I know that our pride's going to creep up. Believe it or not, I found that it even creeps up in me. Ooh, okay. Oh, and you'll never let go of that one, will you? Every time I... Anyway. (laughs) We cannot find the cross of Jesus if we shrink from going to the place where it is to be found. Namely, the public death of the sinner. Jesus' death on the cross was public, right? And we refuse to bear the cross when we are ashamed to take upon ourselves the shameful death of the sinner in confession. In confession, we break through to the true fellowship of the cross of Jesus Christ. In confession, we affirm and accept our cross, the deep mental and physical pain of humiliation, including before a brother or sister, when we have to come clean, which means in front of our brother and sister, which means, Bonhoeffer says, before God, we experience the cross of Jesus as our rescue and salvation. See, it's a lot safer, isn't it? I go into my prayer closet and I tell him all my dirt and thank you, Jesus, I'm forgiving. But when I have to come clean to a human, doesn't that manifest unbelief, really? I'm afraid of man. Somehow I think I'm getting away with something with God. What, what's, there's something broken there, right? So today all I'm saying is if the shoe fits, try it on. Pray into it. Process what is God speaking to us about this. I was, I was reading in the paper a few weeks back, and there was an article on... Well, I'm just going to say this. Our, our, our culture... Starting with way back, I realized this morning we've missed a turn in the road. Starting back with technology. Technology has been a blessing and a... It really has. Starting with television, which was really a cool thing. And video and movies, aren't they awesome? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think they are. But it can also be a curse where we have gone to the point where the only thing that matters is what's on television or what what series I'm in or what have you. And people literally have panic attacks because they can't get the cable channel they wanted. So recently there was an article in the paper about phone addicts. 
You, you know what I mean? You have telephones, mobile phones. I'm talking about mobile phones and addicts. Wait, what was that? What? What was that? Look it up. Anyway, phone act. And here's here was the thing. They they were they were coming up with. I love this kind of stuff. They they were coming up with a new disease. Phone addiction, depression. No, stop. I'm not. I'm telling you. It was in the paper. So I read it. I couldn't help. I couldn't help myself. I had to read it and drink it in, you know. And, and I could go off on self-defense and all of that stuff about safety and all the craziness we do with, with our technology. But let me just park on this one. Here's why they were getting depressed. Because we have so much social media and they are bombarding themselves as they search through their social accounts, bombarding themselves with all the data of your wonderful victories and your wonderful job improvement and the big raise you got and the place by the ocean and the beautiful girlfriend and the big Hawaiian wedding and this and that and the other thing and the people who are reading this junk are getting depressed, angry, jealous, rage-filled, etc. It's like, turn the thing off, kill it. But whether we have a phone or not, isn't that where we park? So kill it. Same answer, just turn it off. I'm not telling you don't answer your phone when I try to call you. But I remember when phones were about phone calls. But anyway, those days are gone. But here's people suffering depression. Why doesn't somebody just tell them, pull the plug for crying out loud? There is an answer. It's the cross. It's death. Anybody remember this little symbol? Oh, wait a minute. Got too many verses in there. Remember that? No, no, not allowed. No parking. That's right. Don't park there. Put it to death, right? The reason I put these other verses, and let me show you about social uh, media. If anyone else, Paul says, has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. The stuff of the world that we think matters, and it doesn't matter. It's all going to burn up. You know, your money's going to burn up. You get that? You, you can't take it with you? Sometimes I'm driving down the highway, I see people with their mobile home and their car and something else. They're, they're pulling a, a swimming pool behind that, too. And it's like, I guess you can take it with you, you know? But no, you can't. Sorry, if anybody has a pool on the back of their RV, sorry. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised the eighth day. That's the Jewish way of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to the, you don't get any more strict than a Pharisee. That's the point. Not everything. By the way, we use the word Pharisee, and we think it's a reference to a hypocrite. It is because they were so often hypocrites, but Pharisee by itself was simply a sect of Judaism that was strict because they wanted to please God. So it wasn't all bad. I just want you to know that so you can separate that out. He's saying, I was the top of the line, you know, the hardcore church. That's where I was. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law found, there it is, blameless. In other words, they, they had nothing to complain about me. If I made a mistake, I always got it right. Kept doing the right thing. 
Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You can make a New Testament application on this one. You don't have to talk about getting rid of your trust in Judaism. You can talk about your trust in your spiritual past. I accomplished this. I accomplished that. Those are the things that Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. By the way, I've had to be rebuked on that myself on occasion. Time to move on. We like to apply that to, I don't have to think about all my past sins as if they're not affecting me. That's a lie. But moving forward, instead of relying on your past relationship with Christ, which has been stale for five years, that's what he's saying. Dump that, move forward. So my little death sign goes here. There's the death sign. The way to win is count that as lost, put it to death so that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's what he's going to say later. Here's what the New Testament says in Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. When true conversion happens, there is a decision that is made. I try to teach accurately. When you come to faith, there is a matter of believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Okay? Doesn't mean that my performance or how hard I obey is going to save me. It means that I have faith in the true Jesus, who is Savior and Lord. He's King and Lord. Okay? So there's got to be some shift. That's what baptism's all about. That's what conversion's all about. I was going one way. I changed my mind. He's right. I want to follow him. There's got to be some of that in there somewhere, so that happens. But this issue of crucifying the sinful nature with its passions and desires is not all done when I become a Christian. No, I'm going to have to walk into that through my Christian life. And if I don't, I won't be pondering what does blameless mean, what does innocent mean, what does grumbling mean, what does that word mean, what are all those words in Galatians 5 mean, and how does it apply to me, and am I guilty? Is that me? If the shoe's fitting, I better wear it and let the blood of Jesus free me from it. I want to make sure I didn't forget something, and I may have. Calvary Road, page 28. Yes. I love this one, too. It's not my favorite, but I, it's pretty close. People imagine that dying to self makes one miserable. But it's just the opposite. It's the refusal to die to self that makes one miserable. Some of you have been believers for a long time. You're still making up your mind whether he's going to be the boss or not. No wonder you're depressed, confused, not experiencing any power, no joy. Because putting it to death, making up your mind, choosing to die with Christ and identify with him is the big step. It's the stake in the ground that releases me. It's the way out. How do you like that? It's the way out. It's the way to victory. You know what that sign is, right? It's giving us direction. 
That's why Paul could say this, that I may be found in him, not having my righteousness, not all of my stuff, that I might be found in him. Not my uh, righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes down as a gift from God and is placed on me by faith, on the basis of faith. And he goes on to say that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. You need to understand he's not ranting about this because he's talking about misery. He's ranting about it because this was the place of joy and freedom for him. It was joy and freedom. I've said it before. I believe that the... Oh, no questions for you. No. I believe that the Christian life was designed to be liberating and victorious. And it doesn't mean we're happy Christians every day, all the time, painting on a false face. That's not what I'm talking about. But somewhere along the line, there's got to be a break with that stuff that keeps making me miserable and terrible to live with. Somewhere along the line. Leave it behind. Feel free. Get the freedom to press on. This is not about morbidity. It's about liberty. Anybody ever read um, Oswald Chambers? My utmost for his highest. I hate that guy. <laughs> you know that's a joke. So it's like when I read a passage of scripture and I say, I hate this verse, you know. What kind of pastor did they hire here? Oh, my gosh. It's devil. The devil. Okay. Just get over it. Anyway. Identified or simply interested? Who? This was March 21st, so the timing was perfect. I'm reading through. I go, hmm. This is relevant. Identified or simply interested? For some of us, the kingdom is just something we're simply interested in. It's just kind of, kind of a little hobby on the side priority as far as the kingdom goes it's down here under everything else that matters to me and you know what I it's my job I'm really sorry no I'm not it's my job to call you on it and I see it and in some cases I will be personally calling you on it I have been crucified with Christ Galatians 2:20. identified or simply interested the inescapable spiritual need each of us has is the need to sign the death certificate of our sin nature. Sign the death certificate. I must take my emotional opinions and intellectual beliefs and be willing to turn them into a moral verdict against the nature of sin. That is, against any claim I have to my right to myself. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. That's not for preachers. I mean, it is. But it's for all Christians, which is why we're not operating where Jesus had in mind for us. A place of power, witness, victory, where we're authentic and people say, you know, I think you're weird because you believe that Jesus thing, but I can't help it. I really like you. I, I, I really find your life fascinating, the way I see God. And God answers, apparently... Anybody have non-believers who are glad you're praying for them? Anybody? I, I've got some of them. They say, God answers your prayers. What's with that? Yeah, well, why don't you come over and talk? You know, it's like, and I think it's funny. Anyway, back to square one. 
the inescapable spiritual need each of us has is to sign the death certificate of our sin nature to decide I want to be crucified with him because it's the way to liberty. It's the arrow. It's the way out. It's the way to freedom. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? We're going to keep praying. Uh, Tonight I'll be praying uh, with saints here in this room. And uh, what really needs to happen is the Spirit needs to help us and illumine our minds to see where those things that the Scripture speaks of we're not getting and that we enter into release. I'm not one for much in the way of altar calls because... Well, probably several reasons, so I'll just drop why. But you're certainly welcome to come pray. If the Spirit has spoken to you and you need to say, I need to sign the death certificate, that would be a new beginning of obedience with God. And I believe he'll honor you for it. So let's pray. You are the living God. King Jesus... Everyone standing up in this room right now is going to stand before you one day. My job is to encourage everyone that's standing up to be ready for that. And so, Lord, you know the burden of my heart that many are not ready. And if we are your children, we don't want to come empty-handed before you. We don't want to be rescued, as the scripture describes it, by the skin of our teeth only. We want to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So, Lord, would you strive with us, Holy Spirit, and help us. Move us into the future, aligning with your glorious kingdom. Let it be clear that we've got our hand on the plow, that we're not looking backwards, moving forward and following you, Lord Jesus. We need your help. I do pray for your angelic protection for your people. In this week, Lord, we don't even take safety. We don't take the places where we live, our safe homes and having food and covering for granted because these are gifts from you. We pray that you would continue to pour them out on us, not because we deserve it, but because you're good and you're faithful. We bless you today, committing ourselves to your grace. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.